0: First and foremost, I would like to welcome and thank the interpreters. Thank you very much, sir, from the interpreters, who this morning will enable us to speak the same language. So thank you. I would like to wish you a very warm welcome and thank you for being here at this meeting despite very busy diaries. I hope that until now you found this forum interesting and productive. It is my pleasure to welcome you all to this session on Partnerships for Sustainable Industrialization in Africa, Lessons from oper- Operationalization of the African Continental Free Trade Area in the Least Developed Countries. This is the 82nd session of the forum. My name is giudonne Desire Sougoury, and I am the Ambassador and Permanent Representative of Burkina Faso to the United Nations, the WTO, and the Swiss Confederation. To quickly get down to the nitty-gritty, given the time that we have available, what I would like to say is that we all agree that increased industrialization is an important tool for economic diversification and building productive capacities. Nonetheless, Industrialization, if left unchecked, could result in negative environmental impacts. The AFCFTA represents a significant economic response to the financial issues of Africa and economic issues. It aims to bolster cooperation and economic integration on the continent, which is one of the most affected regions with regards to the changes related to climate change. In the current context of the acceleration of environmental degradation and climate change, the AFCFTA, given its importance, must serve as a lever for sustainable growth on the continent in line with Africa's Agenda 2063. Broadly speaking, Achieving sustainable development in Africa Africa must entail quickening the pace of industrialization in a way that is sustainable and which protects the environment. To do so, we will need to promote green industrialization via tangible actions, including greening production and logistics, increasing the use of renewable energy, and shortening value chain cycles to reduce environmental footprints. In this context, this session aims to do the following. One, share perspectives of partners on implementation of AFCFTA, fta particularly the efforts aiming to use AFCFTA fta as an instrument for advancing green growth. Two, assess the role of national implementation arrangements generally and in terms of advancing green growth within the free trade area in particular in order to review progress via national implementation committees. Three, share perspectives on the role of trade-related technical assistance, particularly national implementation arrangements in efforts towards using the AFCFTN and Advancing Green Growth. In order to speak of this important topic, we are privileged to have a distinguished panel of speakers covering a range of perspectives. They will share their points of view and insights at this session. We have Ms. Ngunjop, She is the director of the sub-regional office for West Africa and the Economic Commission for Africa. She's based in Yemen and covers the 15 West African countries. She's an economist and an expert in policy development with over 20 years of experience and a track record in policy formulation based on results on poverty reduction, inclusive development, gender equality, and the empowerment of women, as well as demogra- demographic dividends. We also have with us today, and I think he's now arrived, Mr. Richard Niyanshuti. and apologies for the pronunciation. He is currently the Permanent Secretary of the Ministry of Trade and Industry of Rwanda. He is a an expert in project management and SME development, specializing in financial and non-financial advisory for SMEs. His work is SME-led and market-oriented for SMEs. He works in services for business development and access to finance. Over the past 14 years, with your indulgence, I would like to say that Richard has worked closely with business planning and project implementation. Within various sectors with a focus on SME portfolios. Another distinguished guest we have with us today is Ms. Annette Sesemuwemba, who is currently working as the Deputy Secretary General in charge of Customs, Trade and Monetary Union at the East Africa Community Secretariat. Prior to that, she was Deputy Executive Director at the Executive Secretariat of the Enhanced Integrated Framework at the World Trade Organization. She is an accomplished expert in trade and development with proven experience in leading regional and international organizations as well as the private sector. Then our fourth guest is Professor Dirk Willem Tevelde. Who is a principal research fellow and director of the ODI's International Economic Development Group, the Supporting Investment and Trade in Africa Group, and the Supporting Economic Transformation Programme? The professor has advised governments, parliaments, and donor agencies across Africa, Asia, and the Caribbean, including the British Parliament and donor agencies such as the FCDO, the European Commission, the UN, and the World Bank. So, as you can see, we have a panoply of experience, and I promise you that the debates and the information that you receive will be extremely interesting. Following that introduction, I would kindly request that panelists keep their response to four minutes, which will give us sufficient time for the interactive part of the session. And each uh, speaker will will have two questions. I will start with Ms. Jupp for your first question could you please share your insights on the inclusion of environmental considerations in afcfta national strategies and the implement their implementation for which unec has taken a leading role thank you very much chair it is very much my pleasure to share um perspectives
1: and i will switch to english if you don't mind Everyone, ECA has been delighted to be part and parcel of the design even of the CFTA. But before that, we actually think through how the industrialization could be greening. And our report, uh, African uh, economy report of 2016, provide insight into how the industrialization could be different from the mainstreaming in the first industrialized part. And then we were putting insight into the very what it takes to make sure that the CFTA itself would be inclusive, but also environmental sensitive. So why did we do that? It, because we do believe that uh, any transition in greening will be actually resource-based greening. It will actually require a lot of resources. And Africa is endowed uh, with magnificent resources. You can see it. I'm not going through it. I mean, we have 30 percent of the re- mineral reserve of the world. We have more more than above 40% or 45% of the gold. We have gold pad. For example, DRC has 70% of uh, coal pad, which is ne- needed to do um, you know, the uh, battery, electric, and so on and so forth, let alone all the things related to uranium and so on and so forth. So being uh, very connection of the need, to address the, uh, the, the, the paradox of the plenty in the of course. We believe that we have to in, in, include uh, greening dimension into the CFTA. But how did we do it? Very quickly, insight into some of those uh, things we've done to support countries to implement the CFTA. You can see it. We have been at the forefront of supporting countries. Right now, uh, we have 47 countries that have ratified the CFTA. But we've done it for the African Union, which is the political arm of the continent. And we have so far provided technical support in the formulation of national bringing also the environment. You can see we've also identified some sectors that are actually critical to harnessing um, the the, the country's resources and accelerate the pace and path of CFTA implementation. And in so doing, we've identified all of them by knowing that each of those, not only they are important to harnessing business, but they are really important to bringing the greening one. And then we make sure that what we've done um, looked like, you know, those kind of things, which is in terms of the digital one, but also in terms of supporting with the I- IEIS, five countries. But within that support, we've also brought uh, the greening part, and I'm going to give detail of it. Um, not only with supporting, we've trained, uh, thanks to the IAS project, 1,000 officials, but we make sure that the whole issue of the greening are included. And here it is. Um, here you can see what we've done. Not only we do the whole things of the knowledge product, the thinking around that, in <laughs> terms of the regional value chain study, making sure the greening part, when it comes to the whole uh, thing we actually are taken into account. In this one, we did it in partnership With UNTAC. But also, what is very important is what I'm going to show you, and is the last one how the environment protection and all that were taken into account. Here are very critical, specific uh, examples. For example, in Senegal, uh, we've made sure that the environment protection strengthened in in the whole process of implementation of the CFTA by making sure that we train them, but I'm making sure that all those sectors I have already mentioned, being energies and being also. Uh, uh, food, food uh, uh, production and so on, take into account the environment Seeing For Niger, environmental uh, impact study and creation <coughs> of a green fund was developed, along with the implementation of the CFTA, and making sure that renewable energy, water, and pasture are the fundamental things to do. And here are the perspectives we have engaged in, uh, but, but, but battery mineral value chain, again using the CFTA as an anchor, because as I said, we have 70% of the world called, but which is critical to um, producing battery. And here, whatever we do here is actually mineral value chain, making sure that we move from those uh, uh, gas emissions and so on and so forth, and solar energy as well, harnessing the, con- the continent's magnificent uh, uh, wealth and so on. This is actually, in a nutshell, what we are doing right now in a very concrete way, and we are seeing some very powerful results <laughs> towards sustaining uh, and, gre- and greening industrialization on the continent, hastening and unlocking the continent resources.
2: And over. over.
0: Thank you very much, Miss Job. Could we have a microphone for the speaker, please? uh, uh, I now turn to Mr. Nguyen Shuti. Could you please share Rwanda's ongoing initiatives in terms of green industrialization, including circular economy initiatives on e-waste management and the outcomes that have emerged from these? Thank you. Thank you very much, moderator. First of all, Apologies for arriving a little late. I was asking if I could speak in English.
3: Invitation to participate in this uh, quite intriguing subject, discussing the the rollout of the CFTA, but also mindful of our climate. <coughs> and uh, as asked, what are the initiatives that we we as a country, as Rwanda, we are driving? I want to to probably pick it from a different angle and say, as we start the domestication of the CFTA, we also need to be domesticating it to the core sectors that the the continent has uh, vital opportunities, but also meaningful to the market that we are operating in. Uh, And I'll give different sectors, but particular to that, Rwanda's journey into uh, responsive to climate resilient uh, strategies. We have already redesigned our growth, our uh, uh, green growth strategy and climate resilience strategy in a manner that some of the sectors that make sense to us have been the raw hanging fruits to consider in terms of this aspect of considering our, our mother nature. And I'll pick up some of them, but definitely there are a couple of them. One, if, if you look at uh, mobility on the African continent, you will definitely find multiple of them, but among them you will see use of motorcycles and vehicles. And if you go to motorcycles, you will ask yourself, why, why can't we transition from fuel usage to electronic mobility of a motorcycle? Because it is hugely, hugely a means of transport that is used on the continent. So in this context, Rwanda has really initiated this move into converting our current motorcycle mobility into e-mobility, Around 2,000 motorcycles have been transitioned into that board, And I think, thinking beyond Rwanda, I think this is an opportunity that African countries can also see in terms of that transition in the real means of transport that most of the communities are using. That's one example. The other example that I would also touch on is the ability for us to conserve or protect our environment. Under our Green Kigali initiative, uh, all our wetland projects, wetland uh, areas have been transitioned into ecological parks. Why? Because we need to protect <coughs> and make our environment uh, protected, conserve the environment. And this initiative is also one of the, the key initiatives that that we think is transversible to, to the context of the African uh, markets. The other part that is very critical, and I think most of you have, have, have already done, is the decision to, for Rwanda to do away with plastic bags and introduce biodegradable materials. And these materials are key to our manufacturing sector. There is a lost opportunity, of course, when it comes to the commercial sector in terms of the kind of packaging they need to use. But in the conservation of the car alignment, it was necessary that uh, plastic bags are put away. Now, that opens up an opportunity for most of our markets to also come up with these uh, biodegradable materials and, and all glass materials to support our manufacturing sector in terms of packaging. As I touch on both of these, I want, to, I want you to see how the, the, the giveaway cost can also introduce an opportunity for other sectors, and this is one of them. So the call to action here is to say, okay, there is no plastic bags, but are there alternative packaging materials that are also climate sensitive, that are also conserving to the environment? That's another sector that we looked at. The other sector in the industries that have been considered is the agriculture sector. resupporting supporting the regeneration of our agriculture sector. So many technologies can be introduced to support uh, agriculture conservation, with key aspects to do with protecting the soils. We talk about telases we talk about uh, uh, irrigation systems that are used. I think nobody today would not understand the challenges of of, uh, the impact of of food inflation prices globally today because of the low production. And this all tied to climate change. And so the the, the need today to really transition and look at sustainable agricultural uh, technologies or sustainable agricultural practices that can, one, increase productivity, but also respond to these climate uh, shocks is very critical. And so in that aspect, there have been different interventions that have been done to support our culture sector by introducing these different technologies that are necessary to sustain us through the climate shocks that I'm talking about. Lastly but not least, um, I also would say energy sector is one of the key sectors that we all uh, look at in terms of really powering our industrial sector. As African continent, as Rwanda, the key aspect regarding using clean energy is very critical. And, and so here, as we create or distribute electricity to the rural areas, there is a key aspect to say, why not create renewable energy projects? Or why not create renewable energy? And here there's been a lot of financing that has been going into that. The government of Rwanda established a fund particular to support private sector operating in this area, which is called Foneroa, but also put up a center, which is clean production uh, center, which is supporting the private sector to adapt by bringing to them the knowledge, the skills, the capacities, so that they can understand, buy in, and own some of these solutions at their own. So these are some of the initiatives that probably I wanted to highlight, but I'll be very interested to go into deeper as we proceed. Thank you so much, Bodoleta.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having shared those encouraging examples from Rwanda. Rwanda is making green industrialization and circular economy efforts that really could be examples that should be shared with other LDCs. Now, my next question is to you, Ms. Simwemba. Could you provide an overview of EAC's ongoing efforts to implement the AfCFTA particularly in terms of maximizing the potential of regional value chains you have the floor madam
4: thank you thank you Ooh. very much um moderator ambassador good morning um it's very nice to be here um Thank you very much to the EIF. Thank you very much to UNECA and ODI for inviting me to join this panel. Uh, the ESC, which I am now speaking about, which I am representing uh, from about a month ago, is a um, regional economic community. Um, you may have heard it's uh, the most integrated economic bloc um, in Africa, I think which is a really important statement to testify um, of the work that it has done over the last uh, number of years, ever since it became a customs union about uh, 10 years ago. And uh, as soon as the FCTA was uh, launched, it was one of the first blocks that embarked on uh, implementation of the Guided Trade Initiative. The Guided Trade Initiative is um, a pilot approach to help countries start to access markets and to learn uh, from that process. So. Already, a number of countries within the ESC have started uh, uh, the trading. We had, and um, at the end of this, uh, at the end of August, uh, there was a, a business summit uh, that I attended, where we had uh, captains of industry speak about the challenges that they faced. Um, while the guided trade initiative is meant to be a simple process, uh, it, wasn't, it hasn't been as um, simple as was expected. Uh, because of a number of uh, reasons. But what the ESC has done and it continues to do, one is the harmonizing of trade policies. The ESC has already developed an ESC regional strategy for implementation of the FCTA. And uh, countries are now uh, cascading that regional strategy so that um, at the national level, these individual strategies, country strategies that speak uh, to the regional strategy... I see, that's why I see a bit of challenge because the pace of the countries is different. Some countries are faster uh, based on capacities at national level. And I continue to reflect on the role of the EIF, in fact, as I look at all these different capacity um, issues. Uh, But overall, uh, hopefully within the next three years, each country should have finished that uh, strategy formulation uh, processes. Some are faster, others are slower. There's also a lot of trade information and and facilitation, sharing of information, a portal has been developed, and this gives a um, step-by-step process on what's required, licenses, pre-clearance permits. Most of the information is in that portal, but the extent to which it can be accessed or it is complete, um, again, is another issue that uh, the ES is looking into. But um, what's encouraging is there's one place where this information uh, can be found, and in relation to the um, uh, value chains, uh, the ESC has already de- uh, developed uh, strategies for particular value chains, such as in uh, automotive, in car parts, in the pharmaceuticals, in agriculture, coffee and tea, and in services, in telecoms, and in tourism. Uh, you may know that um, the ESC has a single tourist uh, visa uh, that allows you to travel across the countries on the same visa over a period of, of 90 days. Uh, which is very important uh, for tourism, and tourism is one of the key sectors that has been highlighted or identified as a priority. A lot of engagement is also happening with the private sector, and uh, over 2,000 stakeholders have been trained. Uh, It's translating for me that information from um, sort of technical uh, information provision to practical access, uh, enabling businesses to start to use this, this information to trade. And that's where we're working with the countries to identify particular companies or businesses that can be handheld so that we work along with them towards from um, origin of the goods until um, the destination to try and understand uh, what the challenges would be. So there's a lot of private sector engagement and uh, if uh, any of you watched the, uh, the summit that we had, which was also on the FCT at the end of um, August, we launched a um, high-level technical working group, which I am going to be uh, chairing, bringing together the private sector, key private sector organizations, as well as the secretariat and the public sector. And the purpose of this technical working group will be to identify the challenges to devise the solutions and to assign responsibility for implementation. We will be starting uh, meetings for this uh, technical working group uh, within this uh, month. Uh, Infrastructure, very, very important for the FCTA. As you know, infrastructure is one of the biggest challenges in the region, not necessarily within East Africa, but broadly uh, within Africa. There are a number of projects, uh, there are over 200 infrastructure projects that have been identified that are linked to promotion of trade within the region around layers, uh, the standard gauge layer, around crude oil pipelines, road capacity development, a number of transit corridors. All of these projects have been packaged. The biggest challenge is financing. So the region has identified what it needs and uh, the prioritization process has happened, but it is the financing of these infrastructure projects. And, um, There's a plan, a proposal to develop an ESC infrastructure fund where resources will be directed and uh, utilized to address uh, these different infrastructure uh, projects. Of course, we're taking into account uh, the importance of monitoring, the importance on monitoring and and evaluation, and a results-based management system has also been developed at the ESC where we are including, incorporating... Uh, different elements of FCTA implementation, and then monitoring uh, to assess how that implementation is is happening. Investment promotion, uh, promoting the ESC as a single investment uh, destination, specifically in these sectors that are priority for the FCTA, and working very closely with the different investment promotion agencies in the country. And uh, finally, on e-commerce and digitalization, the ESA has also embarked on uh, implementation of a regional e-commerce strategy. Uh, A major takeaway has been for me, at least in the last month, how many strategies and policies and plans have been developed vis-a-vis how much implementation has happened uh, for those different uh, policies and plans and strategies, and putting a lot of emphasis around that area will be very, very important, mobilizing resources so that these plans could be implemented. They are very good plans. They will deliver very tangible uh, benefits uh, for the citizens, but it is the resources that are needed um, to deliver these plans and the partnerships then that need to be forged working together to leverage uh, uh, funding so that um, the ESC the would be a major, major pillar for implementation of the, uh, the FCTA and a, a, a major rake for the um, African Union. So those are key highlights I want to share. Thank you.
2: Merci, madam.
5: Thank you. I think I'm going to start using uh, yellow and red cards. There's an awful lot to say, but uh, we do have to uh, bear our time constraints in mind. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Ms. Mwemba for having given us uh, this insight into what needs to be done in order to maximize the AFCTA's potential in her region. I would now like to give the floor to Professor Willem Tevelde. Professor, could you please uh, share your views? on the current state and the importance of effective implementation structures for the AFCFTA, especially in the light of advancing green industrialization initiatives?
6: Um, thank you very much, uh, moderator, and also um, thank you very much um, to the Enhanced Great Framework for collaborating um, on, this, um, on this session. Um, let me answer your question in, in four um, brief points. Um, First of all, we we think it's really important to uh, to advance sort of green industrialization, sustainable industrialization. And uh, perhaps uh, on the continent, the the issue is particularly around industrialization, um, and uh, rather than that, there's a lot of industrialization already which needs to be uh, greened. Now, there are lots of opportunities there. So, there's a a renewable energy grid uh, um, in, in Kenya, for example. Um, there is uh, uh, the potential for green hydrogen in, uh, in Namibia, there's, uh, there's cobalt uh, uh, for batteries and so on. So there's lots of opportunities to, uh, to green. So the real trick here is to see whether African countries can industrialize and use the comparative and competitive advantages to do so in a green way. That's the first point. Second point uh, for this is that trade measures matter for industrialization. And in particular, AFCFTA measures matter. And AFCFTA measures here are trade measures in a narrow sense, but also go beyond it. So, in a narrow sense, you've got uh, trading goods, for example, um, and you can, you can reduce tariffs. So you can reduce tariffs on, on green goods faster than, than than otherwise would have been the case. So you can you can um, uh, increase uh, so re- reduce tariffs, increase industrialisation um, through through that way. There are also broader measures here. So, the investment protocol, for example, in the ACFTA um, would, would, would provide a framework for investment, and it can do so uh, particularly for uh, sustainable finance and stable investment as it uh, currently is in, uh, envisaging. So, industrialization is important, trade measures in the ACFTA are important. Therefore, the ACFTA implementation structures matter, and they're really, really important so we need to make sure uh, collectively that the uh, ACPA protocols, um, and some of them have been finalized and some are in the process of being finalized, that they are being implemented. Um, now, if we think about implementation and the effectiveness, um, then um, there is, of course, an important role for various players here. And there is an important role for the RECs, um, as Annette already mentioned. There is also a role for the... Secretariat, um, and that's also so the ACFTA Secretariat uh, to coordinate some of the, the implementation, and that's also, that's also in the protocols. And of course, there's then the link with the national implementation committees uh, um, uh, to implement ACFTA. And for example, you mentioned the Guided Trade Initiative, um, one of the conditions. Um, to join the Guided Trade Initiative uh, and sort of to expand, and the expectation is that it's going to be expanding from sort of eight countries to quite a few countries uh, in a month or two time, uh, time is that um, one of the conditions is that you are the, have an effective or have a, an operational national implementation committee. Now, if we then think a bit about learning, uh, what do we learn on effective implementation strategies? Um, we've... Uh, so, about a couple of months ago, uh, done uh, work together with the AFCFTA Secretariat, and we were going to do a joint presentation with Milian Hapta here from the AFCFTA Secretariat. Um, uh, so, ODI and the, and the Secretariat have worked together on National Implementation Committee structures, um, and this is part of a, a program that's supported by the uh, the FCDO. We are one of the implementing partners uh, together with Trademark Africa to support AFCFTA uh, negotiations and implementation. And if we look at that uh, effective implementation structures, then um, um, you can first of all learn from uh, uh, existing uh, um, implementation structures. So we can look at WTO trade facilitation committees, for example, and there we learn that it's really important to have strong legal foundations and political support. We need to have uh, financial and technical support in place, uh, and there needs to be coordination and monitoring, and um, it needs to be an inclusive process. We can also learn, of course, from uh, the fantastic experiences from the Enhanced Integrated Framework across the world, but also in, in Africa in particular. Uh, and there um, we also learn that it's important to, uh, to make sure there's leadership, um, there's vision and involvement from, from uh, the ministers, uh, at the top, um, that um, the uh, implementation structures have the appropriate institutional capacities in, uh, in place, so it's project management, but also coordination uh, um, uh, qualities. And, of course, uh, we also need to avoid complicated uh, structures or duplicative structures as well. Um, what we did was, um, and, and I will just finish that, uh, my, my initial comments on on this, is that we looked at, uh, the, the first batch of national implementation committees, so the first five or six or so, um, that had been started so in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, in, uh, in, in Ghana, um, in Nigeria, uh, and also some, some other countries, and looked at what makes for effective implementation or uh, where something is already ongoing. And we, we, we said we separate out functions and forms. It's quite important to say, well, Look at the forms, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's something that works. Let's do that. But it's actually more important to think about the functions that, uh, that implementation committees need to fulfill. And so we had 10 functions, but let me just go quickly over the, uh, some of them. So they can um, uh, uh, inform trade negotiations. They're not the negotiators themselves. They can inform, right? They can uh, facilitate and advise and lobby on policy reform. Often, they're not necessarily the implementers, of policy reforms themselves. There are already structures for that. Um, they need to develop plans and strategies for afd uh, implementation. So we've seen the UNECA, for example, is, is doing a, has done a lot of these with of support from, I think, the uh, European Commission and, uh, and Canada. Uh, it's important to think about monitoring and evaluation um, in these, uh, in these, um, these committees. Um, it's important that they are uh, linked very well to the private sector. Um, and that they're inclusive and that they provide interface with the secretariat. Um, so these are some of the functions there, um, and there are more, and I can't mention all of them. And then if we look at the forms, we find that there is some um, link amongst all of them in the sense that there are three types of bodies there. Um, so one is that there's a high-level steering committee, uh, which can be chaired by the, the PM, um, but doesn't have to be, or the president doesn't have to be, Could be with the trade minister, could be chairing it. There's then a secretariat, um, and and that, uh, that secretary needs to be led by a, a well linked in, capable individual who's, who's, who coordinates across, because coordination is, is very important uh, when it comes to AFCFTA um, negotiations and, and implementation. Um, and there are also um, technical working groups. Um, now, the technical working groups, some of them already exist. And so sometimes you can uh, work on the basis of the trade facilitation committees or all the other structures, the AU type of implementation. Uh, structures that have been put in place, or the pillars, and then the, the additional committee can be very lean. It doesn't have to be 20, 30 men, st- women strong. It could be one or two, three people, isn't it, right? So as long as you coordinate, but you can also uh, do something more uh, more elaborate, as long as um, these three types of, of, of forms exist, so uh, steering uh, at a high level, uh, a, a secretariat, and then linking well to those those um, those, those, those groups, those technical working groups, uh, as well. Let me stop there. Uh, uh, let me uh, let me stop there in, in terms of my my, int- uh, my first remarks.
2: Merci, professor.
5: Thank you for uh, having talked to us about. Uh, the need for uh, implementation measures in the context of the AFCTA. We're now going to uh, look at a second round of questions. Uh, And uh, given uh, the time, I'm going to give uh, our panelists uh, two minutes each to answer the second round of questions. And I will start with uh, Ms. Diop. Uh, Could you uh, say what UNECA's outlook is in terms of future work uh, to support uh, the um, key areas of importance uh, of industrialization in Africa, including uh, strengthening regional supply chains, removing trade barriers to environmental goods and services, and deploying regional energy and circular economy initiatives. Uh, I will be very quickly, uh, I will say that uh we are now engaged in research to see what we can do in terms of uh, countries' comparative advantages. Uh, let's take one example electric batteries. Uh, we mm-hmm. uh, carried out a study which showed that we have what it takes in Africa to have mineral electric batteries, and this would be part of green industrialization. So the idea is to have a value chain involving the DRC and Zambia. Why? Because the DRC has the cobalt that we need for such batteries. The same is true for value chains in West Africa. What we do is use uh, the relevant protocols on rules of, er- of origin, for instance, to make sure that uh, these um, ch- value chains are not in any way undermined. Um, we're thinking not just of countries but of the whole region, this in terms of our mandate. Uh, thank you, Ms. Job, for having given us uh, a brief statement on the question put to you. I would now like to move on to Mr. Niwen Shuti. Could you give us some insights on Rwanda's future priorities for advancing green growth, particularly in light of attracting investment to areas of critical importance such as renewable energy? You have the floor.
3: Thank you so much. I think to achieve our national targets of reducing carbon emission by 38% in 2035, there's going to be a a strong collaboration with the different private sector investments. As I mentioned, it's not going to be different from the previous sectors that I mentioned. E-mobility is one of our priority sectors. Renewable energy, uh, uh, agriculture, uh, technologies, these are very key sectors that play a key role. And so strengthening our partnerships, not only with the private sector, but regional value chains and global value chains is very critical. That's one key element. And 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 to you to get clean energy or power our industries with the with the sustainable uh, renewable energy, there is a huge investment that has to come into that. So it, it's very critical that uh, uh, we attract uh, green financing in these areas that are powered in the industries. And I like what uh, um, Dick William mentioned. Africa is at the stage of industrial development the opportunity is now to determine on what kind of trajectory that our industries take, which is different from most of the modern markets where industries now have to rescale on their energy utilization. Here, as it is to opt now for the cleaner energy usage, and that is the opportunity that Africa has. So, in a nutshell, there is strong collaboration with the private sector. There is common understanding of the tapping of the value chains that we're talking about, If there's opportunities in a specific country in Africa that can provide the required resources to be traded with another country on the African continent, already that is a determinant of the intra-Africa trading. And so the sectors are the same. The opportunities are there. And I think for the industrialization part, for renewable energies, I would say it is now for Africa. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Mr. Newwinshuti. I'm sure that uh, there will that Rwanda will find a partnerships in this uh, very significant area. I now like to turn to Ms Se Muemba. Could I ask you, Madam, what the outlook is within the EAC in terms of an agenda that leverages aid for trade and other modes of financing towards green industrialization initiatives in member states? You have the floor.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, It's a very positive outlook. It's a very positive outlook, and I will um, use only two examples uh, to illustrate this. Uh, The first example is in the poultry sector, uh, where... Uh, there's there's an initiative that has been started uh, to to turn uh, the waste from uh, the tanneries of uh, hides and skin. That waste is being turned into uh, poultry feeds. And uh, poultry is a very important sector in the region. It is one where, in fact, uh, the region is faced with uh, a number of uh, non-tariff barriers. Uh, So that's a really important uh, initiative that is being funded uh, through... Uh, government uh, resources, uh, private sector resources, and aligned to the EFC strategy on uh, aid for trade. Um, the, the EFC is implementing an aid for trade strategy, so, these initiatives within that uh, uh, perspective. Uh, the second uh, illustration uh, is in the horticultural sector, where horticultural associations within the EFC are working collaboratively together to reduce the use of. Um, artificial uh, pesticides, um, trying to move more organically, um, again, in, in line with um, green, green initiatives. And this is an, a pilot initiative as well with the bigger horticultural farms, but it is expected that um, as a secretariat, we're working closely monitoring with these associations to try and help the smaller ones as well learn uh, from uh, that initiative. Those are just two good examples of um, how... The, the region is moving towards uh, green initiatives in very uh, targeted sectors that are important for the region. Thank you.
2: Merci, Madame. Uh, pour
5: Thank you, Madam, for sharing your outlook on these matters. And I would now like to. Uh, put my last question to you professor i would like to ask you to provide us with some additional detail on afcfta implementation structures what will they look like and how could they be set up in ldcs where they do not exist and how can these structures support green industrialization initiatives? You have the
6: floor. Well, thank you very much indeed. And I think um, um, so to support uh, the HFTA implementation and support structures, um, of course, it's important to realize there are different types of sources uh, of uh, of finance. um, And um, I've supported a... uh, uh, world economic forum africa uh, meeting um a few a few of them to uh, to galvanize private sector support for example so there's also private sector uh, action and they think about a private sector action plan uh, to, towards um, uh, the next uh, davos summit and thinking about how uh, the private sector can support um, all the regional value chains that the Secretariat has, uh, has suggested are important to, uh, to develop. But that's the private sector. I think it's also important to think about, of course, the, the public uh, sources, and in some countries, uh, national budgets uh, are earmarking uh, finance for uh, for the implementation structures and there's a lot of political momentum behind uh, the implementation of the ASCFTA and this goes beyond just being a narrow trade agreement. It's, it's more than that. It needs to lead to industrialization, so there's more than that. And of course then there are also donor resources and so we did a paper about a year and a half ago um, as part of our program and um, and then we sort of discussed and talked to a range of of, uh, of financiers and we we counted around one hundred and forty million dollars uh, that was that was going into um, um, sort of the support for the ACPA negotiations and uh, implementation. so there are major donors like the commission, but there's also the USAID and, the, and others the the, the uk um, and uh, and others. Um, and and then of course it's important to sort of learn as I said, from the previous di- discussion on what is what is important and uh, and I think these these two tiers from the enhanced and the grade framework is quite interesting. So you think a bit about sort of the, the the institutional capacities in country. So you need a bit of support for that if you already don't already have that. Uh, some countries don't need that so South Africa already has uh, implementation structures in place and um, and 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 don't need that support but other countries that uh, they may not have that so you may have to think about a tier one and of course the the, the implementation structures it's not about institutional structures alone you also need activity activities so it also needs to be support for certain activities so that needs support as well so more like a tier two type of of work and, um, and so what, we, what, what our work did, and I'll fin- finish with, with that, is basically with the Secretariat, and by the way, our paper um, uh, from a couple of months ago is on the, uh, the, the website from the AFCFTA um, on their sort of knowledge products. Um, it's, uh, it basically informs uh, sort of a guide for the, for the uh, formation and operation of national implementation committees, and there's sort of a note for BAL, and there's sort of five issues in there, um, so, what are the steps you can take? So, one is form multi stakeholder committees uh, or re energize existing ones, but um, that's the first one. Secondly, um, develop a clear mandate. And that's not always clear in all countries, right? So, that you need to have a legal mandate behind these. Um, then, provide adequate resources, and the two are linked. Um, that's really important. Then, fourthly, engage in consultation and outreach. And fifthly, monitor and evaluation, uh, evaluate. So those are sort of the five steps that are, that are being suggested um, by the Secretariat uh, to countries, to member states, uh, to, to start their, um, their, their implementation, uh, implementation committees. And I think um, that, that, that requires support fr- uh, from, from a range of uh, so, uh, supporters, financiers, national budgets, work with private sector implementation, but also uh, donors, and to channel the donor uh, support into those, um, those buckets of support. Thank you. Merci, Merci. Merci professor.
5: Thank you, sir, for providing us with these details. I'm sure that this will be very useful for LDCs where they do not yet have implementation structures. L- ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of the uh, section in which our panelists answer questions, and I would like on all our behalf to thank our speakers and congratulate them on having given such uh, pertinent replies to my questions and for having managed the time so well. I would like to now move on to the Q&A segment. I would now like to open the floor to uh, our participants. Please do raise any questions you would like to or make comments uh, that uh, participants uh, could answer. And I would ask you to please bear in mind that we are going to have to uh, keep our eye on the clock. The floor is open. Uh,
2: oui, madame,
5: Could I ask you to please uh, introduce yourself and then ask your question?
7: Thank you. Thank you and good morning to everyone. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the panelists for what they have shared and um, the information they have given It's so uh, important. My question has to do with um, what... um, Mr. William Odi um, said on the National Trade Facilitation Committees, he mentioned the work that we're doing and the working committees or groups that they have set. Um, In his view, in order to do this, the National Trade Facilitation under the WTO-TFE has been working, for example, in Ghana. And um, I would like to know whether he thinks Um, the NTFCs should set up working committees for the environment or um, special special working committees that will focus only on the environment or uh, green transitions. Because right now the NTFCs are not that strong, but they are now coming up And how does he think they fit in to the green transitions? Is there a need for them to set up these working groups to fit into this green transition and industrialization? Thank you very much.
2: Madam,
5: you have the floor, Madam.
7: Thank you very much. Um, My question goes to the Honorable Minister from. Rwanda. And with respect to green financing, I believe that Rwanda is one of the African countries that has really positioned itself to be attractive when it comes to investment. So in the spirit of peer-to-peer learning, I'd like to find out how the government of um, Rwanda has been able to mitigate some of the risks that some other African countries are considered to be and are therefore not very attractive when it comes to um, green financing, attracting investment. Thank you.
2: Madam,
0: thank you very much. I'm Julia from the AIS Executive Secretariat. My question um, comes looking at the global value chains, where the dynamic is that there are some countries that have remained to be exploited, seemingly exploited, because they are at the lower level of the of the value chains. Um, whereas the developed countries are, which are more industrialized seem to benefit more from the whole value chain process. What are some of the measures that the regional institutions are going to put in place so that um, poor countries or small economies are not exploited, for example, Burundi and South Sudan in the East African community, or Malawi in Sadiq, um, where South Africa is considered more developed? Thank you.
2: Merci, Madam.
5: Thank you. You have the floor, sir.
2: Monsieur, Monsieur Lopez.
5: Thank you, sir. I would like, uh, first of all, to thank uh, the uh, panelists for the very useful information they have provided. I have a question uh, for the EAC. They have uh, helped us uh, develop uh, different uh, um, a FCTA strategies in different countries, and they have allowed us to uh, take stock of our strengths and weaknesses. We now know what uh, products we should give uh, priority to. Now, now we have national strategies. What we need is regional strategies. So I have a question with respect to fundraising and generally resource mobilization we have our strategies. I'm from Chad, by the way. Sorry, I didn't introduce myself. We LDCs have great difficulty in actually implementing these strategies. For where Chad is concerned, for instance, so we haven't really got down to the detail. We just have the broad outlines of these strategies. Now, with respect to mobilization, could you tell us about what will happen with respect to resources in the region? What is the EAC's view? Now, we need to industrialize, and we're now being encouraged to go to special economic zones and use that as a strategy. Could you tell us what the EAC has thought of with a way of actually dealing with these problems, because there's a lot to tackle. Thank you. I think that's quite a lot of
0: questions. So, we'll ask the panelists to quickly respond, and then we'll take a second round of questions. Professor, I can see that you're ready.
6: Always ready, thank you very much. Um, uh, fantastic questions. Let me just um, uh, address um, the, the the first question, and maybe let the others um, address the um, the other questions. Um, so, first on trade rotation committees, I think that's um, um, uh, that's that's really uh, really important, and that countries may have that uh, may have those, and then maybe uh, they may also want to have an AFCFTA implementation. Committee, uh, Coordinating Office, the NCO in in the case of uh, of Ghana, for example, and also the the Coordinator is also, I think, the Chair of the the, the, the Trade facilitation Committee. So they are linked, basically, in that way. So that that is just one thing to to note. Um, And also that these implementation committees are also relevant. um, They, for example, um, helped with the issuing of the Certificates of Origin that were needed uh, to uh, to trade under the guided trade initiative, so if you get some consignments from Ghana to, uh, somewhere else and, and so they're actually helping out and they're doing things so it's not that it's a thing in the future it's actually it's actually happening so these these committees are are relevant right uh, now you asked the question then should there be uh, uh, another one on on, on green transition um, so I'm not an expert particularly on what is the the, the right uh, um, sort of uh, issues, but I do think that at the moment it seems pretty important to be thinking about the green transformation and the opportunities in this. So um, that's important for industrialization as it it is uh, and trade opportunities. um, And uh, we see that that some of African countries have already missed the boat on industrialization, uh, whereas Asian countries did not do that. Um, there's a digitalization, a digital revolution, um, and it's important that African countries don't miss that boat uh, either, so that they have proactive policies in place. And I would say the same about the green industrialization, And uh, because countries around uh, African countries are, taking uh, green industrialization seriously and in doing so have sometimes also protective measures uh, put in place um, or subsidies or others. And uh, and so it is important to think about proactive measures here and I would say the market-friendly proactive policies and therefore to understand where different type of uh, African countries stand in the green transition. What are the comparative and competitive advantages. So if you are close to renewable energy source, you can use that to industrialize. For example, if you, if you have a, a comp, uh, comparative advantage in particular green sectors, that would be fantastic. Or you can build your dynamic comparative advantage in particular sectors. So I would say uh, for trade facilitation uh, and to be uh, safeguarding your exports um, in the future, I would, I would say it's pretty important to, to think about a green component uh, to this and to both... Uh, industrialise, but also make sure that you're fitting into this this global new picture uh, on, on, uh, on 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 uh, on on green transformation, and that you it's almost like a new green deal, right? So you need to both industrialise and uh, it needs to fit into this green uh, sort of the green uh, the green structure. So those two things together are really really important. So I would say I would encourage that um, if it already doesn't exist in the existing formats.
0: Thank you, Professor. I hope, Madam, that you have found that response satisfactory. I'll now give the floor to Ms. Job. Thank you very much to the Honourable Delegate from Chad. You're right. It does validate the different national AFCFTA strategies and then some countries we've also approved these strategies through projects and they take greening into account it's true that requires a lot of money but the ECA has also got a strategy of um, involving private sector stakeholders in order to have the resources to effectively participate in the implementation of the AFCFTA and therefore to benefit from it is immeasurable and so it's Really, a way in for businesses in the region, and there are many who want to. In all areas of Africa, in Central Africa, in Western Africa, and I gave you an example of the platform using digitalization. And we've used the different comparative advantages, and we're also identifying business champions in all African countries and regions. We have champions those that are really leading the way in the gas sector or whichever other sector it might be. We'll discuss at greater length afterwards because we don't have a lot of time, but we are developing something so that the significant resources that Africa has work for the continent, once again, through business. It's not up to the governments or countries to find the money that's needed. Rather, they need to put in in place an enabling environment so that businesses can be a part of the process. The ecosystem of businesses, the economic ecosystem, which is within AFCFTA, can implement, for example, rules of origin and other rules. It's a process that will be long, but we've started and given the resources that businesses have, we will be able to mobilize a lot of resources. I've spoken about the kyber market and uh, climate finance. And Africa should be able to benefit from this in order to bolster the implementation of the FCFTA. Right.
1: I was mentioning earlier on the resource cost, the paradox of the plenty. Le- take battery electric, for example, electric battery. I oh. mean, the main mineral that actually is important to produce is gold part, uh, Cobalt and lithium. Seventy percent of it lies uh, in Africa. For example, DRC has seventy percent of the world copper. So what we're trying to do is address that uh, resource cost. We have been starting a long time ago, but right now with the value chain, battery value chain, identifying those countries that have comparative advantages, namely Zambia and DRC, we're doing the value chain, original value chain across Africa. Southern Africa and Central Africa, with a view to promoting that value chain production on the continent, instead of selling it, on, you know, raw material and so on, which prices are effectively low. So, building on those kind of things, we are also trying to identify, and we have been doing it in different ways, other comparative advantages, but also bringing together the national. And it touched on the question he raised: the national and the regional one. So the value, regional value chain matters, taking into account the greening aspect, building on the comparative advantage, harnessing Africa's uh, resource endowment. So resource-based, and across the board, you will see the transition you will do, you do need resources, like even the solar energy. We are under with many solar energy, the groundwater, and so on and so forth. So there are many ample, concrete, strategic, forward-looking uh, strategies we are actually putting in place, and we do think that, uh, not only we have results so far, but impactful results that speak to the issues of sustainable industrialization. But I can give you again more insight, you know, B to B because of the time and constraints. Thank
2: you. Merci, Madame
0: Thank you very much Madam for those answers. I hope that they will have been useful to you. I'll now give the floor to Mr Newman Siti. To answer the questions that have been asked
3: thank you so much i think the question was about managing the risks around green financing um one thing is is very critical that we have to make choices on the kind of investments that we are attracting for as i mentioned the initiatives that have been put forward uh, be it in our investment strategy our investment code now translated into our CFTA strategy as a country are all geared towards where we see the potential investments that can really be attractive to the private operators. But definitely there is also a need for, and I think Madam Diop touched a bit on that, there's a further need to really have clear studies that determines the viabilities of these projects, not only tapping into the local market, but also looking at the regional value chains that provides the raw materials, the resources that are needed. So green financing, as it sounds, it's really like a dedicated incentive to support our transition, but there is an opportunity that needs to also tap into the, the viability and the giveaways that, are, that comes with that. And that's where I would say uh, some of our investment promotion agencies that are working on, we have the one-stop center under the Rwanda Development Board that really provides you a leeway of understanding our investment uh, areas, talk about uh, renewable energy, talk about low-cost housing uh, opportunities, transport, but definitely uh, take it further and do a bit of a project uh, analysis and resource sourcing, output sourcing within the country or even the region, and then tap into the available uh, financing packages that are available locally or internationally. There's something that I probably touch on again. In the move to transition, we've also thought about uh, the conversion the conversion technology around e-waste management. And, and um, we have uh, one of the state-of-the-art e-waste facility that we also thought that it is better to think, how do we get even the hazardous materials that we currently are using into a reusable state and so we have a newest facility that is da- doing that, targeting to at least be com- um, uh, recycling 10,000 tons per year, and it, it touches on, on the batteries that we talk about, touches on electronic materials, the plastic materials, and, and really trans- transition them into something else, reusable or converted into other products. again. These are some of the projects that in this transition mode, you will find that attract financing and probably have uh, low cost capital that goes into them because, yes, we have to go green, but then there is a cost of transition through that. So maybe that's where the difference would come. There is a new project uh, that needs funding, but there's also a cost that goes into transitioning into these alternative options. I hope I can also further discuss this with the participants later. Thank you, moderator.
0: Thank you very much for those answers. Ms. Semimamba, I'm sure that you have something to say. On the second round of questions, we just have five minutes left and I hope that we'll be able to fit the responses in in that time. You have the floor, Madam. Maybe 30 seconds. Um,
4: I think the participant from CHAD mentioned the importance of regional uh, mm-hmm. strategies for the FCTA. And as I mentioned that at the ESC, we have that regional strategy that's being cascaded at the national level. But beyond that, we're also looking at a tripartite FCTA strategy. So the ESC, SADAC, and COMESA, having one strategy targeted at the FCT. And I think that would be very important, considering that some of the countries belong to different RICs. So maybe ECOWAS, that's a role uh, that they could um, um, take up. And uh, um, lastly, uh, there was also an issue on uh, countries that uh, may may have different capacities for implementation and whether uh, some of those countries are not uh, left behind in some ways. Uh, The EFC we have uh, for such countries... Uh, a roadmap, a dedicated roadmap for their uh, integration. Like there's a DRC roadmap, for instance. There's a roadmap for South Sudan, and uh, should uh, Somalia also join the community, there'll be a roadmap. And uh, we monitor the important the implementation of these uh, roadmaps. In the, for the FCT, I think what will be important is, in the end, how many businesses are trading, how many, how much tonnage is moving across countries. There's a lot of action and plans and strategies and translating those into reality. For me,
2: that's going to be critical. Merci, madame.
0: Thank you, madam, for that answer. I think that there are quite a few questions left. I think we'll take two more. We have two minutes. You have the floor, sir. Merci.
2: Uh, je me nomme monsieur Zengizier.
0: I am the head of an NGO in Cameroon and I would like first and foremost to thank all of the panellists for their wonderful um, speeches and everything they're doing institutionally and um, nationally. And what I'd like to know is within the regional plans, is there a, a technical structure? Can they absorb the transfer? Are they going to be able to instrumentalize what currently exists today on a on a technical level second and last question please go ahead sir
2: um, my question is is there a publicly available platform where the public can see the progress and impact of the AFCTA and my second question is we hear a lot about the transportation impact on um, the green initiative and how transportation needs to go greener. However, it is cheaper for a list to import rice from Thailand than it is to import from Nigeria, which is literally a drone stone away when we compare the distance. So my question is, is there at least a serious discussion on how to reduce these administrative and political and infrastructural barriers to within African countries from trading with one another. And wouldn't it be much sustainable if we reduce this distance than trying to electrify our cars in a continent where for the most part we still struggle with sustainable electricity in our homes? That's my question please. Thank you
0: sir for your question. I think that I can ask the panelists to respond very quickly. Yes. I'll very quickly answer our colleague I don't know if it's from Chad or Burkina Faso. Now of course in any new strategy we need to um build capacity. That is part of the range of support that we're offering. Currently for West Africa, for example, I'll give you an example from there to be more precise. We have a thousand experts and Technical experts that are working on ACFTN have had tailor-made training, and we've seen the outcome from the negotiations, but also in terms of the implementation of the project. So that will continue.
1: I want to just touch on what you've just said. Uh, the barrier I've made, made made it before so hard to actually be competitive, but this is all the ACFT is all about that. What we need to do now is effective implementing of the barrier, and there are rules and regulations to look into to what extent countries are actually applying them, they're respecting them. The rule of origin is the one, and the barrier that actually has to when you bring things from within Africa. So if we implement it very well, it will be cheaper to buy actually goods and services and trading among Africa than elsewhere. And our, all the other groups actually have done the same. And I think uh, the, 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 for the electricity, solar energy, ECA is also investing with African Bank in that to be able to harness the sun we have, that natural resources actually, and provide uh, electricity or energy, which is green energy uh, to the African population. So I think time is up. I'm going to stop.
2: Okay, Professor, le temps est
0: The time is really up. Our interpreters have already been working hard, and I think that Ms. Job has provided the answers to the questions that were asked, so we will perhaps wrap up. And I would like to warmly thank our speakers for joining us today and for having shared their valuable insights. We have indeed demonstrated that green industrialisation must be a prioritized in African LDCs. In parallel, we've also outlined the substantive efforts that are currently being made from a regional perspective in the EAC and across the continent. Rwanda has also provided a good example of national efforts, which could be replicated in other LDCs where applicable. The AFCFT's potential is potentially immense and it's critical that this is leveraged on all fronts. Green industrialisation is an aspect that must not be forgotten, and national implementation will play an important role in exploiting the full potential of the AFCFTA. I'm confident that the perspectives shared will lead to substantive commitments in order to achieve the dual objective of sustainably industrializing the continent and urgently addressing climate change. I would like once again to express my immense gratitude to our panelists for having graciously shared these insights with us. I would also like to thank our participants for your active engagement. Special thanks also to the interpreters who have made every effort to ensure effective communication. The interpreters, thank you very much, sir. And I would like to wish you all a very productive end to the public forum and a restful weekend. Thank you very much. The session is adjourned. Thank
2: you, thank you.